0: Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi there, it's Kathy Kinzora. Today, I want to introduce you to another podcast that I think you will love. It's called Everything 80s, and it's hosted by Jamie Logie, who takes you on a dizzying journey full of excess discovery and innovation that forever changed the way we dressed, consumed, and connected. On his weekly podcast, he covers everything from the explosion of blockbuster movies to the birth of the cable networks and the MTV generation. The 80s was full of groundbreaking leaps in science and technology with the creation of Apple, the space shuttle, to the compact disc. The world would never be the same again. So jump in your DeLorean and buckle up as Jamie brings you the story of the Transformers an alien race in search of new sources of energy, crash lands on Earth, where they remain entombed for four million years. That is, until 1984. (laughs) That's when Megatron's evil Decepticons wake up and set about to pillage Earth to revitalize their war efforts on their metallic home world, Cybertron. Meanwhile, the heroic Autobots and their leader, Optimus Prime, aim to stop them and protect Earth. But these are no ordinary aliens. These are giant robots that can transform into vehicles and other objects. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast about a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. On today's dizzying journey, I take you back to the definitive toy and cartoon series that shaped an entire generation. This is the story of Transformers. Of all the toys and cartoons that burst on the scene in the 1980s, one may stand above the rest. Produced by Hasbro, Transformers became one of the best-selling toys of all time, which led to an animated movie in 1986, many future toy lines, in a series of live-action movies. Personally, Transformers captured my imagination and left me spellbound. I remember looking under the Christmas tree one year and thinking I saw the distinctive box shape of what I hoped was Soundwave. He was one of my favorite Decepticons and one of Megatron's most reliable troops, even though he was only communications officer because of his monotone computer-style speech. He was actually capable of reading minds by scanning and decoding the electrical impulses. My anticipation and excitement was next level, and I couldn't wait to rip the package open. Until Christmas Day, when I realized it was a multi-pack of lifesavers. And that wouldn't be the last significant heartache caused by Transformers. But before we get to that, let me take you back to the beginning of the decade, to 1980, when Takara Toys launched the Diaclone toy line, which included transforming vehicles and robots that were piloted by miniature figures that came from the Microman toy line. In 1982, they put out a line of car robots that also were able to transform. Then, at the 1983 Tokyo Toy Fair, the toys were discovered by Hasbro product developer Henry Orenstein, who presented the concept to Hasbro's head of research and development, George Dunsey. Excited by the prospect of a car robot line, they licensed Diaclone and Microman lines and made changes to the color schemes from the original toys to match the new series of toys they were about to create. In fact, many of the Autobot versions of the Transformers came straight from the car robot line and a lot of the future Transformers would already exist in the Takara toy line, including the Dinobots, Insecticons, Decepticon Planes, and the Constructicons. And so with the rights and molds to all 28 figures in the Diaclone line, plus the Microman line, Hasbro left Japan with the building blocks to the Transformers you know and love. But building and releasing a new toy line wasn't the only thing Hasbro needed to take over the world. They needed a backstory and character profiles. Hasbro had the great foresight that if each toy had an identity, kids would connect with them in a whole new way. Because it's cool if you see some robots that transform, but it's a lot more interesting when you realize they are a robotic race from a planet called Cybertron. That there are two groups of robots battling for supremacy. Some are good and others evil. To help them, Hasbro turned to experts in creating friends and foes. Marvel. Editor-in-chief Jim Shooter and Dennis O'Neill helped develop the backstory, while Bob Budiansky would be the guy charged with creating names and short descriptions of each character. Budiansky was a comic book writer, editor, and penciler, and had been at Marvel for 20 years. Besides coming up with names and backstories, he would write some interesting tech spec biographies. If you ever owned your own Decepticon or Autobot, you'll be familiar with this because they were printed on the packaging of each Transformer toy. I remember this extremely well, as these were such technical toys that some of them really were a challenge to put together. They were like a robotic Rubik's Cube, but you could learn about each robot's specific technical details, giving them even more unique personality quirks. All of these are thanks to the mind of Bob Budiansky. Budiansky and Marvel gave toys a mythology. And I've hinted at it a few times, but here's a quick refresher on the legend of the Transformers. First, they're the heroic Autobots led by Optimus Prime who are in a battle against the Decepticons led by the villainous Megatron on a metallic planet called Cybertron. Both groups left their home planet in search of alternative energy sources to revitalize their war efforts, but crash land on Earth where they lay dormant and offline for four million years until they are awakened in 1984. But this story wouldn't be fully revealed until the cartoon series premiered two years later in 1986. But the general story of the Autobots versus the Decepticons was there when Hasbro released the first line of Transformers. It's the Decepticon communicator! Get more Autobots! The Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers, from Hasbro that first line was made up of 18 Autobots and 10 Decepticons. Out of these 28 toys, 11 of the Autobots would transform into characters like Bumblebee, Jazz, Prowl, Hound, and Ironhide, and one into a semi-tractor trailer. That semi was, of course, the soon-to-be legendary Optimus Prime. For the Decepticons, three would turn into planes, Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker. One would be a cassette recorder, Soundwave, five would be mini cassettes, and one turned into a gun, the evil leader of the Decepticons, Megatron. Now, if you don't know or remember what a cassette was, well, I'm here to help and to make you feel old. Cassettes were an analog magnetic tape recording format for audio recording and playback. Although the birth and growth of the cassette began in the 1960s, its cultural moment took place during the 1970s and 1980s. If you're a fan of the show, you'll get to hear a lot about cassettes and tapes. Okay, back to our pals of Transformers. Because although it appeared that Hasbro released a massive new line of Autobots and Decepticons, they took all of these from the original Diaclone series and most were just clones of each other. They changed the paint and the accessories, but the physical actions to transformations remain the same. If you owned any of these back in 1984, you'll remember that Ironside and Ratchet were exactly the same. And so were Prowl, Blue Streak, and Smokescreen. Ditto Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp. So, in actuality, Hasbro only released 10 to 12 toys right out of the gate, but they soon reissued all the toys from the first set, plus 26 new toys. This is where the branding became much more detailed and subgroups were introduced. For the Autobots, some of the subgroups would be the Dinobots and the Omnibots, while the Decepticons would have the Insecticons and Constructicons. Along with all these new additions, Hasbro would introduce other features on the reissued toys, like the heat-sensitive rub signs. In case you don't remember, these would be little decals on the Transformers that, as you rub, would heat up and reveal an Autobot or a Decepticon symbol. To kids it appeared like a cool new play feature, but Hasbro actually did it as a way to reveal authentication against a lot of the inferior bootleg versions that were now flooding the market. Both of these releases took place between 1984 and 1985, but were considered as one giant release. The two toy series and all the characters make up the first generation of Transformers. And soon, the Transformer universe was about to become much richer because they weren't just taking over playtime. Soon, they would take over the world, one TV at a time. Now, before I jump to the cartoon, there's something that's often overlooked that I want to point out. Have you ever wondered why there was such an explosion of cartoon shows and toy-based products in the 1980s? Going into the 1980s, there were strict restrictions on what could be advertised to children. Formed in 1968, the action for children's television spent time in the 70s gathering information regarding the psychology of advertising to children. They found young children could not differentiate between what was an ad and what was a show or cartoon. Restrictions were put in place, but these were all lifted by Ronald Reagan when he became president. This gave marketers free reign and opened the floodgates for new cartoons, toys, junk food, cereals, and cartoon product tie-ins, the likes we had never seen before. The story of this deregulation and how it shaped the 1980s will be the subject of a future episode, but for now, the takeaway is that in the 1980s, the lifting of those restrictions created the explosion of new toys and cartoons we saw as the decade got underway. And that's how the Transformers cartoon series became a half-hour toy commercial. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, the original concept by Marvel's Bob Bodiansky, Jim Shooter, and Dennis O'Neill became a four-issue comic book series and a three-part cartoon series that introduced the backstory and characters that little kids would soon see on toy shelves. The three-part TV pilot miniseries first aired in September 1984 and was co-produced between Marvel Productions and Sunbow Productions. The toy line was a bit more militaristic and obviously robotic until Japanese designer Shohei Kohara gave them a more approachable look, which was simplified even further by Floro Derry, who would become the lead designer of the TV series. For the three-part series, the backstory remained the same. The Autobots and Decepticons leave Cybertron, etc., etc. Four million years later, a volcano eruption awakens them. The Decepticons are ready to pillage the Earth, and the Autobots befriend humans Sparkplug and Spike Witwicky to protect the Earth. They're going to crash! <laughs> the Decepticons are gone. Our path is clear now. The three-part miniseries concludes with the Decepticons believed dead after they crash into the ocean, and the Autobots prepared to head back to Cybertron. You did it! Stop the Decepticons! However, the epic battle between Decepticons and Autobots would continue in a 13-episode season, which had already been commissioned and produced before the miniseries had even aired. Unsuspecting kids like me were about to be bombarded with all the Transformers we could handle. The first series of the cartoon picked up right where the miniseries left off. Sorry, guys but it kind of looked like a Decepticon. Decepticon, ha! We sent those oversized tin cans to the bottom of the sea months ago. Yep, the Decepticons are gone for good, right Optimus? I wish I could believe that Ironhide. In the premiere episode called Transport to Oblivion, the Decepticons survived the crash into the ocean and were now building a space bridge to teleport resources back to Cybertron. The show aired on Saturday mornings between October and December of 1984 and served the important function of introducing new characters that would be added to the 1985 toy line. At the center for the story arc for the season was that new technology which culminated in a three-part episode finale where the Decepticons teleport Cybertron itself into Earth's orbit. Called The Ultimate Doom, it sees a paraplegic computer expert Chip Chase joining Spike and Sparkplug as a new human ally for the Autobots. Along with Chip, the series gave us the Dinobots, Skyfire, the Insecticons, and the Constructicons, which were able to combine to form Devastator, and that was just awesome. This concept took construction vehicles, similar to Tonka trucks that were already popular with kids, made them Transformers, and combined them all together to create another giant Transformer. Devastator was like another soon-to-be-released space-based toy and cartoon about a giant super robot, Voltron. It's like they read our minds and combined several of our favorite things into one amazing creation that our parents would have to take out a second mortgage to buy. In an unexpected plot twist, season one ended with the Insecticons betraying Megatron and stealing resources from the Decepticons, then fleeing Earth. For once, I wish Megatron the best of luck. Unfortunately for us, the Insecticons are Decepticons too. And with those words from Optimus Prime, kids like me were freaking out after, and we demanded more. So a second season went into production, but this time there would be a whopping 49 episodes. Now, that might seem like a large and random number, but it was done intentionally. A 49 episode second season plus the 16 from the first season added up to, checks your calculator, 65 total episodes. This is a magic number because it allowed Transformers to move into weekday broadcast syndication. During the late 70s and 80s, as the market for -for made-for-television cartoons grew, it allowed small and medium independent TV stations to broadcast first-run syndicated shows like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Inspector Gadget, Thundercats, My Little Pony, and of course, The Transformers, among many others without competing with big broadcasters who often blocked out Saturday mornings for their content. Having 65 episodes by the end of Season 2 would make Transformers part of kids' daily routine. I know they were definitely part of mine, and probably yours too, because I remember the first thing I did when I got home from school was watch Transformers the second season also changed the format of the show. Instead of having a single story arc or theme that connected all episodes, the second season turned Transformers into a monster-of-the-week-style show, where each episode was standalone. This, again, was done by design because it allowed broadcasters to air episodes in non-sequential order without confusing their audience. However, the second 49-episode season could be broken down into roughly three segments— the first 13 episodes feature primarily Season 1 characters. They were still more character-driven episodes than the first, with many characters getting their own spotlight episode. This basically made each episode a commercial for an individual character that would be connected to a specific toy release. This was exploited in the second batch of episodes, which closely aligned with the release of the eighty-five eighty-six toy line. One thing you'll notice when you watch cartoons from this time period is that characters always address each other by their full name it was important for kids to be able to identify the character and then remember it when they were in the toy aisle. This was also the case for any accessories the characters had, from guns to ships and vehicles. Characters always used full names for everything. We can't let Megatron get the Necavator. Ejected. Rumble. Frenzy. Ravage. Bazaar. Destroy Autobots. With pleasure, we'll turn that bunker into a burial mound! Commerce was front and center, but it wasn't the only focus for season two, which saw Autobots assimilating Earth culture. They played basketball and football and even watched a soap opera. Excursions to alien civilizations popped up occasionally as well, not to mention time travel, miniaturization, and battles against undersea creatures. And it introduced concepts and characters that spread out to other segments of the franchise, including the mystic Alpha Trion, the ancient Vector Sigma supercomputer, and its circuit key. Not to mention the first appearance of female Transformers within official fiction, and a girl named Carly who was Spike's girlfriend. As I mentioned, this season also introduced the remainder of the 1985 toy line with a mid-season two-part episode series called DinoBot Island. Most of these new characters were new Autobot cars and mini vehicles taken from the Diaclone and Micro Change line of Takara toys and introduced the Decepticon Triple Changers, Astrotrain and Blitzwing, and one of the most epic and expensive toys, Omega Supreme. All of this set the scene for Transformers the Movie. Production of the TV series stopped between seasons 1 and 3 to make way for Transformers the movie. Released on August 8, 1986, it takes place in the year 2005, 20 years after the events of season 2. Now, if you're a kid of the 80s, the sheer mention of this movie probably steers up a lot of emotions for you. I get kind of rough just thinking about it and not just because I wasn't allowed to see it in theaters. Directed by Nelson Shin, who also held the TV show, the film features the voices of Eric Idle, Judd Nelson, Leonard Nimoy, Casey Kasem, Robert Stack, Peter Cullen, Scatman Crothers, and surprisingly, Orson Welles in his final film role. The legendary actor died 10 months before its release. And the movie did a few things. Not only did it have violence, but it also had some cursing. But neither of those things necessarily traumatized the kids who watched it. Hasbro's exclusively toy-focused agenda demanded a product refresh, so they contrived an on-screen extermination at the protest of some creators of the film and TV series. They were being forced to slaughter characters on screen, including the leader of the Autobots. Prime, you can't die! Do not grieve. Soon... I shall be one with the Matrix. The result was devastating to kids everywhere, but it worked for Hasbro because it immediately discontinued products from the 1984 and 1985 toy line and introduced a new cast of characters just in time for Christmas 1986. I'm a fan of the movie and I'll be doing a longer deep dive into it in the future, but for now, you should know that ultimately it was kind of a box office failure. With hit movies like Aliens, Top Gun, and The Karate Kid Part 2 in theaters across the country, Transformers struggled to get people in seats. It also didn't help that critics hated it. Karen James of the New York Times described the film as, quote, While all this action may captivate young children, the animation is not spectacular enough to dazzle adults, and the Transformers have few truly human elements to lure parents along, even when their voices are supplied by well-known actors, Yikes. Like I said, personally, I think the movie is pretty good. I have it on Blu-ray and the animation is quite elite. The soundtrack dates the hell out of it, but it's got some great vintage 80s rock. Mind you, I never saw it till a bit later on and had no idea I was watching a 90-minute commercial. Regardless, the movie has since achieved cult status. In 2019, the website Den of Geek called it, quote, The great toy massacre of 1986 traumatized a generation of kids with a string of startling deaths as a story about death, transfiguration, guilt, and redemption, and as a milestone in animation history, unquote. The movie marked a turning point for Transformers, and as controversial as it continues to be, it saw the introductions of Unicron. The Quintessons and The Matrix of Leadership, all of which would play important roles in Season 3 of the TV show. Premiering on September 15, 1986, Season 3 picks up right where the movie left off, completely transforming the whole premise of the show. Gone were the two teams stranded on Earth, along with many of the characters that compose those teams. In their place was a galaxy-spanning tale of battles on alien worlds. With the Autobots in firm control of Cybertron, the Decepticons, though still a threat, were somewhat reduced as villains. New enemies in the form of the Quintessons were introduced. Plots often centered on the ultra-powerful city bots, Metroplex and Tripticon. This season is a bit of a mixed bag. Although it contains some of the most mistaken-laden episodes of the entire franchise, it also has among the best. Both in animation and scripting. Dark Awakening, Chaos, Web World, and Dweller in the Depths are all heavy fan favorites. By the way, kids were still pissed about the death of Optimus Prime, which resulted in a massive letter writing campaign forcing Hasbro to resurrect the Autobot hero. So they gave kids what they wanted. Optimus. I've done it! Optimus Prime lives! It's true. Yes, Skylinks. And this time, no force in the universe can stop me. On February 24th, 1987, Optimus Prime made his triumphant return to the series. In the two-part season finale, an embittered scientist uses the body of Optimus Prime to unleash a dangerous plague on the Autobots and, ultimately, the universe. The season concludes with Optimus once again the leader of the Autobots. I can't say what I'm feeling. I'm so terribly Sorry. We had no right to do what we did with the spores. And for what we thought and believed of you, we... I deeply apologize. Does this mean the fighting will continue? Had to say. There will be no war today, Optimus Prime. You have earned Galvatron's respect. The wisdom of the ages, it's lost. No, not lost. We're all a little wiser now. But the Matrix is empty. There would be a season four in November 1987, and it would bring the series to a close. But Transformers would not disappear from TV for long as a fifth season was released, which was just reruns of 15 episodes from the original series along with the movie, which was edited into four episodes. I think I had long stopped watching at that point. The toys, however, never stopped being popular. Not long after the movie, they brought a few new lines out, such as the Headmasters and Targetmasters. There were also the Pretenders and Powermaster, which featured a new version of Optimus Prime. In 1987, they also released the Micromasters, which were tiny versions of Transformers meant to compete against the hugely popular Micromachines. By the time the 90s rolled around, Transformers dipped in popularity in the U.S., but continued to do well in Canada, the U.K., and Japan. And in the 90s, the TV show came back. From 1993 to 1995, select episodes of the series were rebroadcast under the title, Transformers Generation 2. The stories were presented as though they were historical recordings displayed by the Cybernet Space Cube, which added computer-generated borders and scene transitions to the original animation. The story was later continued in Transformers' Generation 2 Redux, set 22 years after the events of the final episode where the first generation of the Autobots led by Optimus Prime pursue Galvatron and Zarek into deep space, and a new generation of Autobots and Decepticons are introduced. Hasbro also released a Generation 2 line of toys in 1993, although some debate there's no such thing as Generation 1 and there's only Transformers. The old Takara toy company took over production, but pretty much just used the old molds from 1984 to 1985 with new color schemes and finishes. There was one major change though, and that was Megatron, who went from transforming into a handgun to a tank. This was done because of safety and security concerns. But the toys never went away. And then in 2007, what once felt impossible happened. Before time began. There was the cube. We know not where it comes from, only that it holds the power to create worlds and fill them with life. The familiar voice of Optimus Prime filled theaters once again, this time at the hands of Michael Bay with Steven Spielberg serving as executive producer. They had the monumental task of taking the animated TV show and making something for new audiences and old. They did it by combining computer animation with live action filming and when it came out on july 2nd 2007 i was pretty psyched the film stars shia labeouf as sam what a teenager who gets caught up in a war between autobots and decepticons harris gibson josh dumal anthony anderson megan fox rachel taylor john Turturro, and john voigt also star while voice actors peter cullen and hugo weaving voice optimus prime and megatron respectively the movie was a massive hit, making $709 million, making it the highest per screen and per theater grossing film in 2007 in North America. But it failed to embrace the mythos and history of the franchise and made it a little too human. Yet it looks like a masterpiece compared to some of the subsequent offerings. You don't have to take my word for it, just read the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes but in my opinion, the whole progression of the movies went from disappointment to unwatchable. So I choose not to. I choose to think of Transformers as I did as a kid. There's no other toy that stirred up such excitement. Nothing captured my imagination quite like they did. Transformers! More than meets the eye! Autobots, (laughs) They're definitely more than meets the eye, and that's why Transformers are a definitive part of everything 80s. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time checking us out and you like what you heard, please jump back in the DeLorean and go back. There's tons of other great episodes for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And if you're in a position to do so, you can consider sponsoring the show over at patreon.com where you get access to other bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. So you can go to www.patreon.com 80s or in the show notes, you can find a link that'll take you right there. Everything 80s is written and produced by me, Jamie Logie, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. Until next time, I'm Jamie and this is Everything 80s.